Hello, everyone. It's Raquel Ark. It's time to work smarter and feel better together. Welcome back to Your Listening Superpower Podcast, where we explore listening as a superpower that transforms communication into connection, both at work and at home. Listen in on inspiring conversations with authors, scientists, and leaders that will open your mind about what is possible and give you communication tools for your leadership toolbox that you can use right away. Let's have fun discovering and growing our listening superpower together. In episode 52 of your Listening Superpower podcast, learn how to have authentic conversations to achieve success in business. Best-selling author Dr. Craig Dowden is bridging the gap between what science knows and what leaders do. In his work, he integrates evidence-based principles from the fields of positive psychology with those in leadership and organizational excellence. He shares science and examples from his books, A Time to Lead and Do Good to Lead Well, so that we can better understand the secret sauce for individual and collective excellence. In this episode, Craig talks about how listening with curiosity not only helps us to understand people's inner worlds, we also learn so much about ourselves. He also shares powerful tips on receiving and processing feedback because as you know, this is not always an easy thing. So enjoy listening in on this conversation and let us know what you found interesting. Welcome to the Listening Superpower Podcast, Craig. It's a pleasure to have you with me today. Well, thank you so much for the invitation, Raquel. Really looking forward to the conversation. So I always start off the conversation with asking the guests, and this is for you. When did you start to notice the power of listening, whether it worked or it didn't work? <laughs> well, I'm really glad we started there. And I love that the the title uh, of the podcast is uh, a superpower. <laughs> I think that's just a great label. And I would say for me, it's the earliest stages of my life, as far back as I can remember. And, and it's what really prompted me to do advanced studies in psychology was that I realized in school that people just came to be to talk about the different challenges that they had, either at school or at home or with a, their partner or what have you. I quickly realized that the power of questions and just listening, people just really appreciated the opportunity to be heard and to tell their story. And so what I loved was, is that I found that that also deepened relationships with the people around me, even at that earliest age. And I was just fascinated by what makes people tick. And I also have to acknowledge my mom because <laughs> she was an amazing role model for me, not just because that's a personal passion of hers. She also in her, her professional life, she was in media and communications. And so we, we would just have really rich conversations about relationships and how we connect with one another. So all of those pieces from the most formative parts of me and my journey really provided me with that, with that uh, experience. When did you know that you wanted to study psychology? Well, it's almost as quickly as I found out about it. When I was growing up, I was I I was thinking about going into psychiatry. That was going to be my space, and I was focused on medical school. And growing up, I was I was a fan of Frasier. 
<laughs> so that may date me a little bit. And, and it was all around conversation and getting to know people and what their worlds were like and, and how you can assist them, be their co-pilot on self-exploration. And then when I got to university and as I was preparing for medical school, and I love psychiatry, I think it's so important. My understanding as I moved along was really more of that medically based model. And then for me, getting more exposed to psychology and courses in psychology and positive psychology and consulting psychology, it really piqued my interest. And then when I came across organizational psychology, where people have personalities and then organizations have personalities, and I thought, okay, if I mix those together, I'll never be bored. And fortunately, I was right on that. I just love what I do. You know, as you were speaking, it was fun to listen to your to your story, how you got there, never being bored. So it's glad you, I'm glad you're here. We never get bored here either. And before we started the conversation, before we started recording, um, and I was asking you what was important to you, you made the comment, you know, I love just being a part of the conversation. And now that sentence means more to me now that I listened to how you got into psychology. And so when you think about being a part of a conversation, um, what does that mean in terms of boots on the ground experience for you? I, for me, I love to get everybody's perspectives on the table. I love to truly understand where other people are coming from and unlock the secrets to their inner world. And I feel it is a profound privilege when you're able to do that. And when people feel understood, and I think that's also a remarkably powerful and a remarkably important quality when it comes to meaningful relationships. And so for me, I've just continuously been fascinated by how in the same situation, people have different perspectives. So I just have this innate curiosity going, wow, so what, what makes you say that? Or what are some of the assumptions that you have here? Or what are you drawing your attention to? And so not only do I have a chance to get to know someone on a deeper level, I also find and feel incredibly fortunate. It also enables me to get to know me at a deeper level and to learn because when people share different perspectives on topics or situations, it invariably puts a mirror up to your own, <laughs> your own perspective. And then you get a deeper appreciation either in terms of, Hey, I recognize where you're coming from and that's interesting and it doesn't align with wh where I am and, and that's okay. And or, huh, wow, I had an assumption here or I have a certain set of expectations or what are the things that I'm looking for? How might that color what I'm doing right now? And so it's one of the reasons I love travel because you get a chance to connect with different people from all over the world with different day-to-day uh, uh, -day lifestyles and cultures. And it's just so fascinating to see how this common, the shared human experience can be lived differently and also similarly everywhere. And so that's just uh, an, an innate passion of mine. Yeah, nice. Yeah, I, lo I also love um, being around different cultures, working with different cultures, traveling. <laughs> That's one of the things nice and being able to travel again. Oh, and the last time I was like the summer I did was traveling a little bit. And I thought, oh, I'm not getting enough. I need more. <laughs> I'm with you on that. It's one of the greatest things to get out. And it's and it's the it, it's why I find it so rewarding is that you just truly 
immerse yourself. And that's what I love to do when traveling is to truly immerse yourself and, and really get into the day to day and, and see where, where people hang out and, and how they live their lives and have great conversation. Uh, to me, all of those pieces coming back to your question, which I really appreciated Raquel around. So how do I like to be a part of it? I just love to, to immerse myself and I love to learn. So you talked about um, immersing yourselves in the conversations and um, really connecting with people's personalities as well as organizational personalities. What does that mean? <laughs> yeah, no, it's it's been a fascinating it's it, it's it's a fascinating distinction, and and so everyone has their own personality. So we have a certain set of preferences, thinking styles, traits whatever label you want to put on them, where we as individuals show up to a particular conversation, to a particular community, particular organization. And then the organization to me, I, I equate it with culture. So it's essentially how we do things around here, the behaviors that we exhibit. And what's fascinating, I do a lot of executive coaching work and a lot of team development work. Time and time again, it's that intersection between who I am, who my, what my values are, and, and what my preferences are and my personality and how that intersects within the organization that I'm a part of. And then when those things are very closely aligned, that's where the magic happens because I feel like, hey, this is where I'm, uh, I belong. So this is my community. I feel like I understand and, and, and I'm connected with that. And then when there's a really strong departure between my personality, my values, who I am and where I'm working, that can create some real challenges, some disengagement challenges. And so what I love is to explore that intersection because it's so important. And then coming back to the listening piece, really heightening our listening so that we can see, okay, how is it that I may reframe my relationship with my organization or what is truly going on here so I can better understand? And so I think when you bring those two things together, that's the secret sauce for individual and collective excellence. Can you give me an example of where you where this intersection has been brought together? Just a, maybe a personal example or one from your clients. I think in, in, in a lot of ways, uh, even organizational decisions, like, so how do we make decisions? Maybe it's tough decisions, perhaps, you know, in terms of, well, during the pandemic, there were job losses, as an example. Organizations had to reduce, had to reduce workforce. And then you're stuck with this really challenging, impossible, difficult decision to make where you recognize well, now you're going to affect people and people's lives in a profound way. And what I find, countless examples in this, is where people fall back on their values and the organization's values. So who are we? Like, how do we want to treat people who are no longer part of our organization? And I think what's really powerful is, is that the more authentic that conversation. And it's interesting. Remember speaking with the CEO who talked about, well, one of their divisions basically was the bedrock of where the organization had grown and why it was so successful. And then essentially just through a lot of market and technological changes, it no longer had a place in the company anymore. And then they were stuck with this really challenging decision, right? That this division had built things so successfully and now it's now they had to remove it. And so they had this spirited conversation around the table. And I remember speaking with the CEO and, and, and he shared with me, he said, 
Well, what I reflected on was my values, our core values as an organization. And one of them was, well, letting people know, let them know this is going to happen. And here's a timeline and here's what we want to do. And how can we ensure that this goes smoothly and support you in the best way possible? There's a lot of resistance around the table, as you can probably appreciate from people. And well, aren't they going to sabotage or create challenges? And in that example, as he shared with me, it was so powerful that a few people left prematurely. The vast majority stayed right until the end, worked late, cried when they were, you know, just tears of joy and appreciation, received so many comments back saying thank you for dealing with us, you know, respectfully, humanely, collaboratively on this really challenging decision. And I find once again, when we're listening to ourselves, when we're listening to other people, when we're listening to our organization's context, and we have the courage to have those com- those authentic conversations, once again, it's it's such a powerful connection tool. You just said some a few really important pieces I just want to highlight. There are a lot of different levels. There's the level of being clear with ourselves and what's driving us. Also, and values is one thing that drives us, right? Um, also, the the values of the organizations, if this is clear, even though sometimes what are the actual values that are really at play? Not just the ones we talk about on the official <laughs> statements, but the ones that are really the reality of the situation. What are those values of the organization? Um, as well as, you know, in terms of the outcomes and the, and the, the impact on people. Um, but you also talked about having authentic conversations, and this is plural. And I want to highlight this because often I think as leaders, we want to just have this one conversation, let people know what's going on and move on. But it doesn't work that way. This work, especially this authentic work and this work that has an impact at the level that you're talking about, even in challenging situations, or especially in challenging situations where people can feel valued and respected, even through a challenging experience, um, that this is a continuous, small conversations over time and probably through different channels, through one-on-one, small groups, you know, probably, you know, cascading information at bigger levels. There's like a really, there's a lot happening right there. Going back to this example, what, after the conversations and after seeing the impact, what would you say are a couple of key cornerstone pieces that help that work out like it did, that would be that people who are listening or new leaders who are listening, going through major change could help them maneuver that type of situation for themselves if needed. Well, and I, and I love your analysis of that Raquel and, and, and really appreciate at one point before I answer that great question around that authentic conversations piece, it's conversations are bi-directional. A lot of times people are just, I'm going to tell you, tell you, tell you. And it's, it's ongoing. It's an ongoing, continuous process. And, and we're going to continue to learn as we go through the different stages. And there may be things pop up over time. So seeing it as a singular event and then it's closed and it's over, that's not realistic. It's not part of what it means to be human. And so fostering a safe space, we hear a lot around that. And it's so important to continue to have that dialogue is essential. So I think, and to answer that question around, so what can we do? I think being really mindful, listening to ourselves around, okay, what emotions are we feeling in this situation? That is vital. And so how am I feeling? And not 
dismissing it, not minimizing it, acknowledging it and recognizing where it's coming from. Because that they are messages. Emotions are messages to us. We must listen to them. That's our responsibility. And then it's also listening to the emotions that others are experiencing or may be experiencing. And then both of those are essential because we're in this together. If we are working together, we have to put those things together and, and figure it out. And then I love that you highlighted values. I'm so happy that you drew attention to that because, and and also that you talked about the actual values because <laughs> I, I and, and it's a parallel universe. It's like where it's the same thing, the same conversations I'll have. It's like aspirational values versus actual values, right? Like, hey, this is who we say we are. And then who are we really? So when the chips are down, when tough decisions have to be made. And so being crystal clear on our values and who we are and who we claim we are as an organization, as an executive and then to the next level, and this is hard work. This is deep work. This is deep work and very rewarding work. And then once we've come to that level, once we've identified them, then we say, okay, how will people know that I'm living them? What are the behaviors that are associated with my values? So if I say I'm respectful, if I say that I'm courageous, if whatever, if I say I'm collaborative, how will that look like in this context? So once again, if a core value is collaborative and we are facing a, a really tough decision where people are going to be impacted, well, now how are we going to manifest that within this decision? And so all the key decisions. And I think a lot of times, to your point, we throw around words, we throw around values and would say, oh, well, we wrap ourselves up like a security blanket in them, yet from a listening standpoint, once again, it's we need to go deeper. Okay, now that we've said these wonderfully aspirational things, what do they mean to me, to you, and together? You know what I love? I love taking a word like trust or, you know, some of these egoless or, you know, you hear these words and to have everybody write down what that means to them, even in terms of behaviors or actions on a piece of paper and then share it. And I mean, you'll get some some overlaps, but it's often 80% is slightly different or, and, and, you know, even that little slight difference can make a big impact on why our expectations are, why people get disappointed because they're expecting one behavior, but they're all trying to be trustworthy. They're all building on trust. They're just building on it in different ways. And so I think when there's a conversation about that, what does that really mean? Then, then things, then that's also where the magic can happen. Well, I love your example, and uh, and and I have a great one uh, with a team that I work with. To your very point, where uh, in this case it was respect, we're respectful of one another. Great. So this is really important. People would say yes. If you asked people listening, if you uh, if you stop someone on the street and say, "Are you you know to what extent are you a respectful individual?" I would imagine very few would say, oh, "I don't respect anybody." Well, the vast majority are going to say, "Yes, I'm respectful." In a team that I was working with, we had this great conversation. So on one end, an executive said, "What does respect mean to them?" Okay, what it means is is that there are tough messages that have to be communicated. So I'm not going to softball it at all. 
I'm going to hit you right between the eyes and tell you exactly what you need to hear. It's kind of like medicine. You might not like the taste of it going down. This is important for your health. And so I'm not going to shy away because I trust you and I'm looking out for you. That's how I respect you. Then on the exact same team, I had someone else who said respect is all about never saying a negative word about someone else. You do not provide any critique. It's all supportive. It's all about being appreciative. And you do not have any kind of critical conversation with them. Yet when I asked both of them, are you respectful? You can probably guess how they rated themselves. 10 and 10. To their definition, they're being respectful. Yet when you come together as a team, and they had this core value, if you will, within the team, yet it was being wildly differently implemented. And you can see why they would might have problems with each other. <laughs> yes. Big ones. <laughs> and they're both being respectful. <laughs> well, and, and I love the point, right, in terms of that then they accuse the other one of being disrespectful. And not learning, you know, again, not appreciating, not listening to the other side. And so both parties felt that they were, they had good intentions. And now, okay, if we are working together, we need to listen to those and say, okay. And what I love about this example and why I felt so fortunate to be a part of that conversation is when you bring both together, if you listen to both sides and bring them together, then you have this amazing integration of both ideas such that, hey, we do need to communicate and we need to have challenging conversations. Not everything is going to turn out perfectly. We're going to encounter some real tough spots and there may be some tough feedback we need to hear. You need to tell me, Raquel, when, if I'm stepping out of line or I'm not having the impact that I say that I want to have. So now how do we do that, right? How do we have that conversation? And and so by bridging that 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 gap, I think again the secret sauce is uh, it's it's an amazing opportunity. Yeah, an amazing opportunity is a great is a great uh, yeah. How to see that as an opportunity, also for clarity, for understanding, for seeing where we go next, maybe even a, a, a new way. <laughs> yes. Um, yeah, it could be. You know, I'm really interested because I, I know you gave a little bit of your history in terms of why you were interested in psychology, and you also mentioned positive psychology. Um, I'd like to lead this over to to your new book that just was launched, which is called Do Good to Lead Well, The Science and Practice of Positive Leadership. I know what positive psychology is. I'm not sure if our listeners do, um, but I'm, I'm assuming that this is connected to positive leadership somehow. Um, just... Can you share what you mean by positive leadership and maybe how it's connected to positive psychology? No, for sure. And in and, 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 and Do Good to Lead Well, my first book, what I really wanted to do was shine that light on positive leadership. And a big part of that motivation was a lot of times, a lot of role models that you see in the media and elsewhere, it's on that negative side. And what I love, and when you look at all the research in positive psychology, is that when, when we are in positive environments, well, now we are at our best, maximally positioned to be successful and to access our potential. And so what I wanted to do was really shine a light on all of this tremendous body of research that's been gathered over the decades 
to highlight that business case for, hey, doing good is not just the right thing to do. It's the right thing to do for our organizations. And I think a lot of cases as well, people were back to listening, if you will. They were torn. It was almost, okay, I can drive exceptional results and I have to throw the people equation out or really, you know, just drive, drive, drive and not respect others and not appreciate their human journeys. Or on the flip side, say, hey, I can be really nice. I can listen. I can engage people. And then, well, my results probably are going to be a little less than optimal. And to me, what I was excited by, the big idea was around, well, no, those things come together. The more that we listen to others, the more we look to access their talents, their strengths, their ideas, then the better we're all served by this. This is your first book. And then you have a book that just came out, which is called A Time to Lead. <laughs> so, And this one is a little bit, so one is more um, leadership focused. And this one more is more, your new one is also more about leading yourself. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> Even though it's all connected to this positive leadership, <laughs> right? It's a brilliant way of capturing it for sure. And it's interesting when I wrote the first book, Do Good to Lead Well, if if I were to, to look at it, it, it's really, you know, 75% around leading others and, and then 25%, shall we say, about leading self. And then with when the pandemic came along, and certainly a lot of conversations I was having with clients and executives was that how do we lead through this? And then the real, the deeper listening that was happening there was, how do we lead ourselves through this? Before I could even think about leading my organization or my family or my community association, I have to get clear on leading myself. And so that was a huge insight, a big learning for me. And then I thought, okay, so how do we go about that? And then the big idea within this book was great leadership starts with great self-leadership. And so what are the things that we must be committed to mastering within ourselves? And it's a lifelong journey so that we can be best equipped so that when we're in positions to lead, when we're called upon to exercise leadership, we are our best selves and we're most capable to be able to do that. And so that was a big, big part. And in some ways, I joke with people and say, almost wrote the books backwards, perhaps, that you start with self and others. Yet at the same time, through, again, that interesting uh, confluence and, and how situations emerge, this really spoke to me at that time and uh, and was really happy to be able to explore that uh, more deeply. So I'm, I have a little question before we dive a little bit deeper into some of these things. Um, the second book, you know, where you're, you're talking about mastering yourself, leading yourself, that means we have to really learn how to listen to ourselves. That's a huge, huge piece to that. And that is not easy. And over the years that I've um, dove into this listening topic, I remember people saying, oh, you have to listen to yourself first before you can listen to others. I've heard, I hear this often even now. And I don't, I'm not sure if I completely believe that. I believe that, yes, we do have to learn how to listen to ourselves. And yet I don't think we can do it by ourselves. I really believe that in order for us to listen to ourselves, really listen to ourselves, that we need other people to listen to us, to be able to listen to ourselves. So yes, we do need to be better, listen to ourselves to be better listeners, but we can't do it by ourselves. We need people, we need our listening team around us who listen to us in a way, even what you were talking about, showing this mirror back to us in order to be able to see the layers that we are. 
um, or else we stay in a little bubble of what the self-management means. And I was wondering what your what you've learned. Also, maybe there's some science that talks about that. I'm not around that. Maybe. <laughs> what is it? I'd love to hear your perspective. <laughs> Well, and, and thank you for framing it in that way, uh, Raquel. And I think, and, and I would say I, I'm with you on, I, I share your perspective. And hey, the good news for us is that we, we have data on our side. In positive psychology, there's a great quote by one of the most internationally respected positive psychologists, Barbara Fredrickson. And so I'll paraphrase it. And essentially it says, none of us can be at our best without the rest of us, without all of us. And, and I love the point that you're making because I talk a lot around the self-serving bias. So we all have a self-serving bias. By nature of being born, being human, we have self-serving bias. We tend to look at the world. We tend to look at how we show up in the world in a way that really <laughs> puts us in a great light. And so you're absolutely correct in terms of if we don't pay attention to those around us, if we're not engaged in meaningful conversation around us, well, then we lose out and in a big, big way, because in, in many contexts, those outside of us are the most accurate judges who we are. There's lots of psychological research that demonstrates that. And so to me, it's about and listening to ourselves and listening to others. Both perspectives are vital. And and what I think is really interesting, and I'll use a parallel from a CEO that I spoke with because I thought it was such a really fantastic way of conceptualizing things because he was sharing with me, it's essential to lead with your heart and your mind. They're both vital components. And then depending on the context, the situation, you may index more in one direction or the other, even if we could argue that perhaps an equal balance is optimal, yet you're going to sometimes lead more with heart, lead more with mind. And I would even, using your approach on this and, and your perspective on this, I would say that's a really fabulous way of looking at what you just shared. Maybe in some situations, I, I may put more of a focus on me and how I'm listening. It doesn't dismiss or eliminate the other party, perhaps I have to be more mindful of how I'm showing up in the conversation and listening to my triggers, right? And, and what I'm processing. And then in others, it's more about, okay, I've got to focus the bulk of my attention on the other person. And I think that's really the mastery. And it's why I loved, for me, that notion of mastering as a, a lifelong continuous journey it's through that experience and being mindful of application, because sometimes I find in a rush, a rush to oversimplify, we can miss out on opportunities to learn. You know, you talk about in your book about the importance of resilience or what are the, you know, you call them the, the scientific secrets of resilience. And I think it's important to bring this into, I'd love to hear what some of those secrets are and how do they connect to those challenging conversations that we have to have? I think that's because people are so fearful. I hear that, you know, feedback, giving feedback, receiving feedback is one of the most stressful things people bring up over and over again. Even though when we look at conversations where we receive feedback or had a conversation that went well, we realize how much it's, it supports 
growing relationships. It supports, you know, our growth. It supports clarity. Actually, a lot of good things come out of it, but we, our brain tends to forget that. And then we're always worried about what might happen. <laughs> so maybe, uh, maybe there's a way to connect, you know, with this aspect about resilience, what the science is showing, how that might be connected to these challenging conversations. Yeah. Would love to know more. Well, I touched on so many vital things in terms of what's affecting us right now, Raquel, and, and really appreciate that. And, and I'll start with fear because I, I see that everywhere that you go in almost every conversation, you can see hints of that. And certainly in our corporate world and in our global environment, fear is operating. And one of the powerful acronyms that I've heard for fear is false evidence appearing real. And I think that, yeah, <laughs> I think that's such a fantastically powerful, and you talked about listening, right? When I feel fear, because sometimes what will happen is we try to dismiss it or no, I'm not afraid or, and once again, this is, this is instructive. And so in the client work that I do with executives and teams, I'll say, hey, if you're feeling fearful, if you have fear, great. Not as in great, you're experiencing great. This is a signal. And now the next step when we're feeling fear is say, okay, what is the quality of evidence that I have to support that fear? And that is a really powerful listening exercise, again, within ourselves and within others. Because what I find is, is that in a lot of cases, this is more of a, a feeling, a projection, a series of assumptions. And when people really start to look for the evidence, they're struggling with it. And so now you're in this situation where you go, okay, so what is the justification lying underneath my fear? Maybe the things that I'm fearing aren't nearly as bad. And I remember a, a great study where they did worry outcome journals with chronic worriers. And they asked them to track, write down their fears, and then followed up to say, well, did they come true? 90% of fears did not come true. And in 30 odd percent of the cases, they were even better than the person could imagine. So I think that's incredibly instructive for us once again, to take the time to listen to our fears. We must, they are there. And now we sit with them, create space with them, a safe space for us to ask that question. What evidence do I have? And, be, and then assess it, take that, you know, elevate and go, okay, so what's the quality of that evidence that I have? And I love that you linked it to feedback conversations. It's a lot of times and difficult conversations because we can be afraid of having a conversation with someone. Oh, you know, Raquel is going to do this or going to do that or this is what. And you hinted at it, pointed to it, which I, I'm also really thrilled about is that it's a lot it's not as nearly as bad as we think. We have this whole horror movie in our mind that that is that is played out. And when we have those discussions, when we have the courage to lean in and listen to ourselves, listen to our counterpart or parts in that discussion. And I hear this all the time in my work. People will constantly say to me, that wasn't nearly as bad as I thought. Wow, we have way more in common than, than I thought. And then the magic to that is, and, and again, I love what your passion and your focus on listening in every single case, it's not about what they told someone. It wasn't that, hey, I went in and delivered this gangbusters argument. 
It was around, they listened. They went in with a spirit of curiosity. And there wasn't about judgment. Well, I'm not here to judge. I'm here to understand. I'm here to gather more information, not less information. I'm here to sit back and listen to my own experience in this conversation and seeing it as a learning opportunity. And so taking the time to center in all those conversations, feedback conversations, difficult conversations, is just so incredibly empowering and effective. You know, I find that curiosity is like the choice that can be made in the moment that actually physically neutralizes your body. And when your body is physically neutralized, your brain becomes calm again, and you can think more clearly, and you're able to take in information that otherwise, when we're in that fear mode, we're like tunnel vision. We we only are like scanning for danger. (laughs) And so it really makes a huge, huge difference on the outcome of the conversation. Well, and I love how you're bringing in the physiological aspect, right, to the conversation, because that's that's a listening exercise. When my body reacts, that's also, that's a cue for me to listen. And I love that point, because stress, when we're feeling stress, like that's our mind, our heart, our body's way of raising its hand and saying, hey, something's up. So it's important for us to listen to that cue. And what I also love about what you're saying is that, and then we choose how to deploy that. So now I have activation energy, I'm primed. And so one of the benefits in a heightened state of arousal is, in fact, and I love you're using curiosity here, right? We're in a heightened state to learn. So now if I can channel that arousal into curiosity, center myself, now I'm actually in the best space to be able to learn and gain access to things that are going to be most vital for me to figure out what needs to happen in this situation. You know, I had a, this is some years ago, I had a client who perceived someone, you know, who was above them in terms of their job, their position as being against them, quote unquote. It was something in that genre. And they were to have a meeting where they were doing some interviews and this person was kind of concerned about being critically evaluated during the process. So we we talked about this and we he decided, okay, I'm just going to go in. No matter what happens, I'm just going to choose curiosity. And he chose to be curious, curious. That's all his focus was. The amazing thing that happened within the short hour is that because he was interested in this person, the person became interested in him. And they had this really interesting conversation. And actually what turned out, what he realized after was actually this person believed in his potential, but the way that it was coming across was him being critical because he was trying to help this person grow. It wasn't because he didn't like him. It just came across in in that way. And so that curiosity piece changed his whole perception. It actually changed the relationship and what happened afterwards. Well, and, and I love that example. And I think it's so powerful because it also highlights the power of our mindset as an example, right? How we're entering into a conversation and if I'm assuming that Raquel has it out for me and <laughs> you're looking to undermine, well, when I go into that conversation, every conversation, every interaction that I'm in the room with you, virtual or live, where I'm watching you speak to someone, I'm going to be like a lawyer looking for confirmatory evidence. I'm going to say, okay, what's going to build my case? What's going to make the stronger case versus what I, again, love what you're talking about, that curiosity. Okay, I'm going to go in and then there's going to be a lot of evidence around. I'm not going to prejudge it. 
I'm going to accept it and see where things are. And I'm going to show up without any predetermined (laughs) destinations. And now, wow, what a difference. And then I show up differently. You show up differently. And then what's really interesting is, well, our our change in behavior can prompt change somewhere else. So be the change you want to see in the world. You want people to be curious and, and with you and engage differently. Hey, I can control that. And I love that. And I can echo countless examples as well, where people, when we've stepped back and said, this is how I'm going to start the conversation with curiosity. This is going to how I maintain it. There's just so many benefits and there's a learning attached. And I love that client example you shared because they come out of it now with a different perspective. How incredible is that? Yeah. So if if for people who are listening here, um, is there any other tips or, or insight that you would like to give them on how to receive feedback or to ha- how to handle these difficult conversations besides you already gave some good feedback in terms of listening to the emotions, whether it's yours or the other person, um, choosing curiosity, being aware of our assumptions and how we're building the case. Is there anything else? And there's some fantastic work. Uh, Doug Stone out of Harvard, part of the Harvard Negotiation Project, work, wrote the amazing or was the lead author on the amazing international bestseller, Difficult Conversations, How to Discuss What Matters Most, wrote a fantastic book around feedback. And I've had the pleasure to speak with him multiple times. And one of the great tips that's come out of his extensive work in this space is when it comes to feedback, a lot of times when we receive feedback, our natural instinct is to look for what's wrong with it. So basically say, I'm going to, you know, and if I find one piece wrong with the five things you've shared with me, I, I throw it all out. And so he shared with me, which I think is so powerful. He said, rather than asking what's wrong with this feedback, we would really serve ourselves better by asking what's right about it. And so that's a really powerful tip. Another one is, is that the harder it is the feedback for us to hear, the longer we want to sit with it and look to learn because chances are it's connecting into an identity piece for us. So coming back to, If I feel a core value is being respectful and then you challenge me on being disrespectful, well, I can lash out and I can get emotionally hijacked, if you will, and go on the offensive. So when we receive particularly challenging feedback to hear, we want to spend more, not less time with it, despite how uncomfortable it is, and really listen to ourselves and listen to the other person, ask follow-up questions. Even if it's, wow, that really surprised me that you would say I was disrespectful. Can you help me understand? Like, that's what do you mean by that? What did you say? What did I do? I just want to learn. Incredibly, incredibly powerful learning moment. And then the last one I would share is is that be mindful of throwing out feedback because of who shared it with us. Uh, A lot of times if I feel, and I loved your example earlier, around, well, if I feel that Craig has got it out for me, well, then any feedback is seen through that lens. And let's pay less attention to the source. And there's actually some pretty interesting work that's, uh, that suggests that, in fact, the people we have most challenges connecting with may be the most reliable feedback sources because they won't color it. So they, if they have challenges with us, they're going to call it as they see it. So we may want to spend more time 
processing that feedback than less. In terms of processing that feedback, part of that is taking time for yourself to reflect on it, take a walk with it, you know, maybe write your thoughts about it, you know, to get your thoughts out, but probably also having, talking to someone you trust, who's, you know, that you trust and who's honest with you to get, you know, another third or a fourth perspective is probably really helpful. Absolutely. I think that's great. I think uh, it, it's a two-pronged approach. They're both complementary and, and they're additive. They, they uh, exponentially so, whereby I want to sit with it and sit with the emotions that it's stirring up within me, particularly challenging feedback to hear. And then also, okay, and start to assess what I'm saying and what I'm doing. And, and it's, again, it takes a lot of patience and courage to hold up a value that I say I, I adhere to in, in my work life, my personal life. And then if I'm challenged on that. So once again, if that's truly back to being aspirational and truly authentic, well, it's my responsibility to sit down and start to evaluate and potentially broaden my perspective on how I show up in this or hear the feedback, appreciate it, thank you for that feedback, and disagree with it. Just because we hear feedback doesn't mean we have to do anything or change anything with it. And then to your point, engage with others. Wow, I'm seeing this and, and I've been told X. And so what do you think about that? Like, how might that land? And what are some ways that for me to be able to address that, that I could do it? Or how have you seen me show up in this way again, through a, a, a lens of, of curiosity to be able to, to move the needle forward. Okay, so when you started this book, it sounded like the, the COVID or the pandemic and, uh, was a big um, spark towards this, this latest book. And um, so it sounds like you did a lot of interviews with people, looked at the research about mastering your, your, yourself. What is it that surprised you that you maybe didn't think about when you first started and where you are now for yourself personally? Yeah, it's, I think for me, one of the big pieces that have come out of this and just continues to be reinforced over and over and over again is being comfortable with, I don't know, things are shifting so fast and it may sound counterintuitive. You talked about aspiring leaders earlier, leaders who are currently in leadership roles. A lot of times the presumption is I've got to have an answer to this. Like that's why I'm in that leadership role. And I think what the pandemic has done in a lot of ways has shone a light on the fact that we don't know and things are changing so rapidly. And in fact, what I might argue is that our confidence in what we knew before probably far outstretched what we actually knew. We were playing a losing game on this because we have been adapting so quickly to change. And so now moving forward, I think it's more vital than ever before to create space for listening. It's to listen to ourselves and to listen to others. In order to figure this out, we need everybody on board. And I'm an important part of that. So it's, again, that great leadership starts with self-leadership. So being very clear and having really powerful, deep, authentic conversations with myself. And then having powerful, deep, authentic conversations like this with you, Raquel, and others. And through that exploration, through that application of curiosity, that's what's going to get us to the next level. And it's something that... Before, 
I, I had this sense of, and it's just really this whole experience um, has just driven that to the surface is just, it's resoundingly so is getting confident with, I don't know. And getting confident with, I'm going to ask a question and I don't know where the conversation is going to go. I don't have an agenda other than to understand what's going on here. All of these things, all of these muscles are going to be of a paramount importance as the world continues to speed up and we need to access the highest quality information we can from everywhere. So is that how you see the future of leadership? I think the future of leadership is going to be even heavier on the humanistic side and the connectivity side and really appreciating what that means and how we're going to manifest that. Pre-pandemic, there's lots of evidence showing that from an engagement standpoint where we were and that and how that was decreasing some of the, the mental health challenges that were there pre-pandemic. And then once the pandemic hit and is and we've continued to navigate it, it's just really put all of those, once again, signals that were there, it's put it on hyperfuel. And now I feel that we as individuals, and then particularly those of us who are in leadership roles or aspiring to it, it's really taking that humanistic approach. It's really looking at, quote unquote, the softer side of things. And I would argue they are the more challenging. That's the challenging piece is understanding ourselves and understanding others and how those things go together. So that to me is we're going to have to double down on that. And I think you're seeing that in the conversation and, and people looking for how to be able to do that most effectively. Wonderful. Is there anything else that you would like that I haven't asked you yet or that you would like to share with our listeners? No, thank you. This is just a great conversation. And, and if for me, the number one to build on the question you just asked as well about a, a, a real key insight, I love the idea of living our lives personally and professionally like scientists so that we our responsibility every day is we go out and we engage with our world personally and professionally and we're open to that experience we may have hypotheses so we may have assumptions that are in place about what things what's going to happen today yet we have to be open to the data that's all around us to counter those hypotheses and what I love about that idea of living our lives like scientists is it represents the, again, maximizes curiosity. It maximizes the flexibility and the adaptability and the continuous change we're going to be exposed to. And it ensures that we take a listening approach because what would scientists say? Listen to the data, our data, other data. Don't dismiss it because otherwise what can happen is we're operating in a world that's six months ago rather than today. And so yeah, and scientists to... are always validating and they're always willing to change their mind too, <laughs> which exactly. is lovely. And that comes from gathering data. So how do we do that as human beings? If we're looking at my personal life, my professional life, what's the best way that I can gather data? Listen. Yeah. Listen to me, <laughs> listen to others, because I'm continually growing. Others are continually growing. And it's my paramount responsibility to create space to gather that data because otherwise I'm going to be running incomplete experiments, faulty experiments, and unhelpful experiments. And if I truly want to be at my best, if I truly want to unlock the best in others, 
well, that's the best way to go. Yeah. And that fits with, you know, a lot of organizations saying we're data driven, which is really good. But to, I don't know if what the way you describe leadership from that perspective, if that's really considered in a lot of the, the talk around being data driven, but it would be definitely for those of you listening, think about it and let us know what you think. <laughs> so. Absolutely. It's such a great point that you're making. And that yeah. to me is why I get excited around that idea. And I have these conversations around is that so how do you go about building out a project plan or a strategic plan or whatever? And then it's numbers, numbers, number, data, data, data. And then so where, how about data when it comes to how we show up as leaders? Like what data do you pay attention to? How are you operating? Where, what are you doing to gather the best quality data that you can? And, and how can we learn if we say these are all great business practices, how can we not find a way to apply them to our own leadership journey, our own life journey? Yeah. Well, love, love that. Um, so if listeners want to get in touch with you or want to find you or find your book, um, how do they do that? So the book is available on Amazon, Chapters, Burns and Noble. So absolutely uh, can find it there. Uh, you can connect with me on craigdowden.com, my website. So happy to, to, to connect with each of you. And I'm on LinkedIn. So please tell me that uh, Raquel sent you and uh, that you're listening to the podcast would happily connect. So any of those ways. And I'm from Newfoundland, Canada originally. So I just love to turn social media into a, a Newfoundland kitchen party. So I, the more the merrier as <laughs> part of the conversation. We'll put all of the links in the notes for those of you listening. And Craig, it's been such a pleasure to have you on the Listening Superpower podcast. Well, thank you. The pleasure was all mine. Just had an absolute blast and uh, love the questions and, and, and the, the key messages that we discussed this morning. So thank you so much for the opportunity. We did have a nice conversation, didn't we? <laughs> we did. You have just enjoyed your listening superpower podcast, where we dive into how to work smarter and feel better at work and at home. This is an independent show, so please show your support by subscribing, leaving a five-star review, and telling your friends. Also, if you or somebody you know has experienced listening superpowers being put into practice, email me at listeningsuperpower at gmail.com or send a voicemail at plus four nine one seven three two three four zero seven two two. If you want your team to grow their listening superpowers, you can find more information at listeningalchemy.com. I'm your host, Raquel Ark. Thank you for listening. Thank you, Cecilia Mercado, for your amazing podcast production, Dorta Streicher for your impactful artwork, and Evo Tiemann for your inspiring music. It's been fun and see you guys on the next episode.